This episode of Storylines is brought to you by APA, the voice of Alberta's post-production industry. Since 2015, APA has been providing a clear voice for Alberta's post-production professionals. APA advocates the interests of post-production at all levels of government, educates about best practices, and celebrates the successes of APA members and partners. Becoming an APA member can help you build your network, help steer you through the post-production grant process, and position yourself as a true professional in the post-production industry. Find out more and become a member at albertaposts.org. APA, finishing what you started. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode... I began life as an independent filmmaker here in Edmonton, but fell in love with the edit suite and have spent the last 20 years happily ensconced there. We're in conversation with editor Brenda Turning. In order to get your foot in the door as an editor, you have to have something to show that you can actually do this thing. Brenda makes magic from the edit suite. She's been a documentary film editor for over two decades and her resume is stacked. She's edited documentaries for the CBC's Nature of Things for a decade and is currently editing feature documentaries for the National Film Board of Canada. Her work includes The Tipping Point, a documentary that looks at the impacts of the tar sands in northern Alberta. What do you expect will happen after the meeting with Stoppel tomorrow? I will try to impress them that, that their money that you're investing is, is uh, killing our way of life. She's also been tasked with combing through 600 hours of footage to create the blue-chip documentary series The Great Human Odyssey. It won a Canadian Screen Award and was nominated for an Emmy. It's difficult to understand why we are so good divers if we were not forced by evolution to learn this. Brenda was also one of the editors on the doc series Equus, Story of the Horse. That was nominated for seven Canadian Screen Awards. Brenda, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You started your career initially as an independent filmmaker, and you've transitioned into solely focusing on editing. Take us through that journey. How did that all come about? I began wanting to be a filmmaker. I grew up in a small farming town, so I decided to leave <laughs> and went to university to study film history, theory, and aesthetics. And then from there, I started writing and developing dramatic projects. And I did a series of short films, which were funded through Alberta Foundation for the Arts and Canada Council. I went to the Canadian Film Centre to study directing. I did a fellowship at the University of Alberta. So I was always trying to be overprepared for everything that came my way. But I found the world of independent filmmaking, the money side was nearly impossible. I spent quite a long time developing a feature-length film, a drama, and I raised a little bit of Arts Council money, but it was such a struggle on the financial side that as I had been working as an editor to pay my bills, which is also handy. (laughs) I sort of became more and more immersed in the world of editorial. And I had wanted to begin working as an editor to support myself to become a better filmmaker. Because for me, editorial really is where 
the story comes together or it doesn't. And I thought if I really understood editing, then I would really understand filmmaking. During this journey as well, you've transitioned from working into scripted and narrative work, and now you're strictly focused on documentary. What was the decision behind that? When I began studying film, I had watched a lot of National Film Board documentaries in the era of cinema verite and was really in love with the authenticity and the just the nakedness of that form of storytelling. Even as a drama person, I was always most interested in the actor. I was never the person who wanted to do Star Wars. <laughs> I was always the person who wanted to do something like Breaking the Waves or Roma, something where you're very intimate with characters telling a story through their experiences. And I always also had a taste for the dark and twisted and strange. <laughs> so I've always felt that as a director, I assumed that drama would be the road that I wanted to go down to really control the story and perhaps a little too controlling as well in my approach. And documentary has been the place where it's about discovery. Um, just like the, the crew, the cinematographer, the director, the writers discover the film as it unfolds in front of them. Yes, there's some expectation of what will happen, but you never know what will happen. And that's what's so amazing about documentary. People will always surprise you. The other benefit of documentary is that you just can't beat real life. Speaking of discovery, as we mentioned in the introduction, you were tasked with combing through 600 hours of footage on the Human Odyssey documentary series. That just seems overwhelming. Yeah, it was pretty overwhelming because we had a fairly tight schedule. There was three episodes for a docu-series for CBC's The Nature of Things, and there was also a partnership with PBS Nova. So I got the footage and had to start combing through it right away. There was a shooting plan for each of the episodes, as there always is with documentary television stuff. But because of the approach the director chose to take. There's a lot more opportunity for the observational style of filmmaking by meeting characters in remote locations and exploring scientific ideas through experiencing how people live in other places. That was sort of the crux of the series. This is Tawi Tawi, a scattering of islands in the southern Philippines. It's always been a place apart. So that was really exciting. And then as well, they had all these specialty cameras, which bumped up the amount of footage. They were shooting 4K drone, and they were shooting super slow-mo phantom footage. And so there was tons of specialty camera footage. If you've ever watched super slow-mo in super, super slow-mo, it may take someone 30 minutes to cross a room. And you have to watch every moment of that. <laughs> and if there are multiple takes and hours and hours of that, finding that little moment that is the best or most telling moment for whatever it is that you're doing is the magic of it. And so in my ideal world, I want to look at everything because m meaning and story and ideas develop over time. And as you watch everything, that's when you really begin to understand the world of the film 
and the filmmakers' ideas and the choices they made and why they made them. Well, absolutely. And I, I, I certainly can't imagine the magic of patience that you have to comb through all that footage. Well, I think you have to be a bit of a voyeur to be an editor as well. So I really enjoyed the watching process. The, where it becomes challenging is the building story <laughs> process where you have to start making decisions and culling that down. So there's a story outline because most directors, when they go out, of course, they have a plan and there's some idea of how the film's going to be structured. But because of the nature of sometimes you go out into the field and magic does not happen or things fall apart or it's not what you expected or the broadcaster decides they want to go a different way. So for Great Human Odyssey, we had three months per episode and episode two, the act one, which is usually 14 minutes with the nature of things. The broadcaster looked at it, started in Australia talking about DNA and they went, no, we don't know. <laughs> you, can, you can't do this. So there was a whole rethink in post-production and they went out and shot an entirely new act one for episode two which started in Jordan in the desert following camel herders because that's what the broadcaster wanted. And and it was great, except I had like a very short period of time to then get to know that footage and rebuild the opening act of the show. How do you deal with that pressure? Sometimes well, sometimes not well. I think on Great Human Odyssey, I was working seven days a week for the most part. Work-life balance is a problem for everyone in the film industry. I was going to ask that. How do you? What are some of the tricks then that you use in if you're working seven days a week because to meet that deadline? What then? What are some of the tricks that you do personally to unwind? Right. Well, I'm still working on that, but some of the things that help me is I try to do a little bit of self-care. Like it's great to still get up and either walk to work or go to the gym. So you take that first hour of the morning for yourself and start getting your body moving and, and you get your brain relaxed and ready to be engaged with things. I find that stepping back from what you're working on and going and looking at a mountain or a lake or a park is incredibly valuable because it gives you perspective again. When you're in the middle of it, it can feel like a war zone and everything is life or death. And then you stop and go, okay, you know what? This is all going to be fine. <laughs> we'll all survive. No one's dying. It's okay. <laughs> because you do spend a lot of time in the edit suite, is it important to get out of those four walls? Definitely. I think it makes you better at your craft if you can step back from it. Because the worst thing that can happen for editors, I think, is to get too lost in the detail mm. and forget the larger story. And you have many, many masters to serve because you have not only the director, but the broadcaster to satisfy. My survival skill has been accepting that failure is a possibility and that knowing that if the worst happens, I will survive. It will be okay. If you burn yourself out, then you are of no use to anyone. So... So so self-care, very key with avoiding that burnout there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and getting outside. The common misconception about editors is that it's a technical skill. But really, the second film is effectively made in the edit suite. What do you say to that? Yes, I would very much agree with that. I've met a lot of people who say, oh, you're an editor, so you cut out the bad bits. <laughs> and as much as I love directors, having been one, I empathize deeply with directors. They come in with a vision, but they can't 
That's the magic of documentary. You can't control the universe and you don't know what's going to happen. Once you get into the edit suite, discovering there's the film you intended and then there's the film that people in the film or the cinematographer or circumstance created that's totally unexpected. And there's always a question of how much fluidity there is from the initial concept to the completed production. And some films are more open and some are less. And I think that's why I've always loved cinema verite. We all come to a film and we work as collaborators and that every key creative and all of the people who work on the film change to some degree, shift the kind of film that it becomes in the end. I've sat through so many sound sessions where, oh, the sound design has completely changed the film that I that I saw when it was with without anything. And that's a magical moment too. An editor is not an editor is not an editor. Every editor is unique. Their life experience changes the way they see the world. Every editor responds to the footage differently, sees something different in the footage, has different ideas about how the story can be told. And that's a good thing. And that's what's exciting about film is that what needs to happen, I think, in the world of the film industry is to have more voices and more different voices, people with different experiences. And that's what will make a film powerful is if it has bigger ideas that are really exploring the human condition. This sounds like a very pie-in-the-sky idea, but how much do you cut on emotion? There's a few key things that I'm thinking when I'm thinking and feeling when I'm watching the footage. The first time I watch the footage, I just want to experience it because that's the most important moment. This is my opportunity to see what happened and experience it like an audience fresh for the first time without knowing a, a whole lot. That's where all the surprises are and the weird connections start to happen. Emotion is important, but I think it's not the only thing. I often think of documentary as drama just in another form. So you're cutting story. You're cutting often an emotional journey of a central character. But often there's some complexity in that. Part of that is creating balance in how you present people. Part of that is the moments people choose to cut out sometimes are the moments that shift a scene and take it in a different direction and create complexity. And so those kinds of questions are, I think, a really fascinating conversation to have with the director about what does this mean and what is this person feeling? Each scene that you build for a story changes and shifts the meaning across the whole film. And you're building meaning and ideas over time. So when you're cutting, you're not, to me, you're not just thinking about the emotion of the moment or the timing or the pacing alone. You're thinking of in the larger narrative of this ideas of this film, what does this moment tell me that contributes to the bigger picture of the ideas of this film? And you have to find a way to not reduce people to tropes. Mm -hmm. And that's really important for an editor is to try to achieve that deeper representation and to not oversimplify any individual and to avoid the trap of tropes. You, you are a key collaborator when it comes to creating the final product, creating the ultimate film or the series as we get into it. How important is it to maintain those relationships and have that collaboration? I think it's critical. 
every director works differently and every director should. The director is, to me, the auteur. They're the person who's bringing the unifying vision of all these different collaborators together. They're the reason the film's happening. And some directors are like Alfred Hitchcock, and they plan everything, and they want everything to be exactly as planned. And that works more in drama. But there's always a driving vision behind the director choosing this story, why this story, how we tell the story. There's also an exploration that's happening, both in the field and in post-production, where you're discovering the surprises that are going to take this film beyond just narrative and into something that's ephemeral and unmeasurable and that touches people at a level that they can't defend themselves against. That's the beauty of editorial. It's like dreaming. And so that that relationship, how the director and the editor talk, how they share their ideas and how they how they develop the language skills to work together can really determine how far you can take that journey. Time is always a the thing that you're fighting in editorial. I generally try to negotiate a longer schedule. I'll I'll take less money <laughs> if you'll give me more time because this could be anything. You could make it anything. Is that the hardest decision for you to make is how do you decide on that one film of those 10,000 versions? Well, I mean, the director's there. Often it's more modulating the possibilities within the story. You mentioned that you're such a fan of Cinema Verite and on one of your latest projects that you just finished editing and that's now released, Queens of Dogville, you got to work with one of the queens of Verite. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, I was incredibly excited to work with uh, Rosbita Dransfeld. Of course, I have known her name and I've seen her films, and she is one of the powerhouses of Canadian observational documentary films that don't actually get made that often because they're so challenging, because you never know what's going to happen, and because finding distribution and financing for that kind of filmmaking is a lot harder than a conventional one-off television episode. So my genre is, okay, we cannot lose the audience ever. <laughs> move it along, move it along. We started to come together, we worked on a short film together, and then she had this feature-length doc called Queens of Dogsville, which I was so excited to work on because the opportunity in feature-length documentaries is to really challenge the audience in ways that you're not encouraged to do in broadcast, to make people uncomfortable, to have characters who are anti-heroes, to allow people to be more than one thing at a time. Part of that is a function of time, and part of that is a function of experiencing a film theatrically allows the audience in more. So it's funny, with Queens of Dogsville, Rosie and I really enjoyed working together. She's super smart, and she's super funny. <laughs> and so, and she, we share a similarly twisted, dark sense of humor about certain things, and exploring character and all the conversations we had about the characters and what it meant and where the film was going. In the end, it's a very funny film, but I think that's what made it exciting. It was a very different kind of observational documentary. Some of the rules of observational documentary people have told me are: you can't have music, and you can't. You can't do this, you can't have voiceover, you can't have that. And so Rosie sort of reinvented that kind of documentary form with a 
a satirical eye. Now, you're never actually on set when this is getting shot, but when you look through the footage, does it make you feel like you were there? It does more than that, because I think the editor's experience is unique, because I sit down and I watch all the footage back to back to back, eight to ten hours a day, just watching footage. And when you're shooting, you're not experiencing it that way. You're experiencing it over an extended period of time, one or two hours here and there. So directors know when, they, when they're thinking about the kind of film they want to make, generally what's there. But when you're sitting there staring at the footage and looking into people's faces for eight or ten hours a day and seeing it as all one long batch, it's a totally different experience. And there's little moments that you discover that become meaningful in context in the body of that 80 hours or 100 hours or 600 hours. The meaning changes over time. You're not confused by having met them in real life and having feelings about who they are. You're strictly there as a voyeur watching someone like a fly on the wall and discovering through all that footage. When you go home at the end of the day, do you watch TV? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, And in an ideal world, Instead of going to another screen <laughs> after a long day of editing, I would go to a gym or go out. So for you as a viewer, when you go and watch a documentary that you didn't edit, um, can you tell that if the relationship was good or not? <laughs> yeah, I think it depends a bit on the kind of film that it is, but you can sort of tell. Like in Talking Head documentary, which I also love when done well, like Errol Morris and every director will have a different style of doing that. You can tell how relaxed the interview subject is, how much they're willing to speak, but also how comfortable they are speaking. And that's not always just shyness, that's trust. Brenda, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm Brenda Turning, and these are three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, networking, networking, networking. The film industry is built on relationships, so in order to get your foot in the door, first you have to convince people that you are an intelligent, hardworking person and not someone who's crazy. So there are gatekeepers, and in order to get past them, you have to start to develop relationships with people. They need to meet you and put a face to your name and get a sense of who you are, that they want to be around you. It's sort of like being on a first date. Don't oversell yourself either. You don't have to push yourself on people. But if you just meet people honestly and engage with them and be curious, they'll be curious about you. And that's probably my best advice for networking. Okay, number two is find your collaborators. Whether or not you're a filmmaker or an editor or a crew person, film is also all about collaboration. So you have to find the people that fill your soul, that you want to work with because you're excited about their ideas. If you're an editor, a post-production team is your best friend in terms of online editors. You want to get to know them and have a really good working relationship with them. Sound designers, all of those things. So if you're making your very, very first short film, you have to know who's out there and start to find the people that most excite you to work with and that will execute your vision in a way that excites you and challenges you and makes you happy. Number three to key to entering the film industry is to make yourself indispensable and unavoidable. <laughs> 
So when you first start and you get your first, first job, wherever it is, whether it's in corporate video or somewhere else, people love someone who is indispensable and cheerful and shows up and works hard and is committed to the project, whatever your level of experience is, because that's gold in this industry. If you can have a good attitude every day, no matter what's thrown at you, and do your best and be decent and fun to be around, then that's a really great way to get people to want to hire you over and over and over again. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode two of Storylines. Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to FAVA for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Brenda Turning. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shana Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original Storylines theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. And I'm your host, senior producer and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead. Mm-hmm.